When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing the hot breaking stories from the Camp No, I'm Dan Hilton, as always, joined by Frances Tomac. And of course, in a few moments, or about 20 minutes or so, in your ears, you're going to hear another special guest who's going to be a reoccurring cast member of the Barcelona Podcast shortly. But before we get to her, thanks again for tuning in. With an iPhone, if you've got it, please subscribe to us via iTunes. With an Android, it's Google Play. And on Spotify, on either. Five stars is great, and you can also find us on social media. You know where, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or for myself, at HiltonD13, and on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod, and of course, on Facebook. Just check us out on Barca Blog, and of course, our website, barcablog.com, for all the special articles throughout the week as we offset some of the podcasting days or the days that you don't get a podcast. And before we get to La Gran Pergunta, of course, we again want to thank our show sponsor for today's show, Ticket Compare. And we all know buying tickets for Barcelona. His biggest games isn't easy. The box office sells out instantly, leaving you to endlessly scour the internet. You don't know which websites are trustworthy or if you're paying over the odds. You wish there was a simpler way. Visit TicketCompare.com where you can compare tickets from the most trusted vendors. Every vendor comes with expert and consumer reviews so you can have the peace of mind you deserve. You'll never miss El Clasico again. TicketCompare.com, your guide to the best seats in the camp No. And Frances, our La Gran Pregunta today is going to be concerned, yes, with a big picture about Barcelona, but with the game that was not at the Camp No, but instead at Stamford Bridge, most recently in our mind, in that 1-1 draw with Chelsea. It was. Um, Barca came to London, whoop, whoop, and we got very involved. I managed to go to Barranco, which is the ball by the River Thames, there with the Peña Blaurana, London, 
Um, I was actually on national Spanish radio uh, on El Larguero um, around midnight. And I, let's just say I was very happy at the time. Um, but yeah, that's not what the podcast is about. So let's, let's stop talking there. Uh, as, as Dan said, we're going to be talking about that fourth spot in midfield in La Gran Pregunta. And after that, we've got La Ronda of Listener Questions. We've got plenty of them. And we want to thank everyone who submitted one or some, everyone who actually has um, over the week and over the, the, the months since we started the podcast. And it's going to be awesome. The Barcelona Podcast 64 starts right here. And this show, and at least La Gran Pregunta, starts and ends in the midfield. That's our focus. And by midfield, we just mean one of the four spots because we're not going to be talking about Andres Iniesta, Sergio Busquets, and even Rakitic. Even though people have been critical of Rakitic, he's the third starter of the four in the midfield, along with Iniesta and Busquets in the hardest matches. So we're going to leave Rakitic alone for the time being, and we're going to focus on that fourth spot that Paulinho occupied against Chelsea. So, of course, he'll probably be the focus here, but we'll list the other contenders. Of course, Felipe Coutinho normally plays on the left, could also play on the right. You have Iles Vidal, Sergio Roberto. People want to be moved back up in the midfield for Semedo, but... That's, again, an, another topic for another day. Andre Gomes, who's been fit at times, and Valverde has trusted him in the big games coming on late. Denise Suarez, of course, is still hanging out at the Camp No somewhere. And, of course, Usmane Dembele has recently come back from injury, did not feature against Chelsea, but normally an out-and-out right midfielder or right winger, if you will. Frances, should we start with Paulinho? Yeah, let's, let's go ahead. Well, for me, Paulinho, looking at the heat map in the Liga games this year, he really has been very central, a lot of deep dark red in the middle of the pitch and then moving farther upward and even back to come collect the ball at times and against lower level competition Paulinho particularly at the beginning of the year when he was on that nice goal scoring form and even as recently as last week you and I agreed that he was in that starting 11 and in a game against Chelsea where it that strike by Willian put Barca on the back foot and they needed a goal just to equalize get in a way goal to put themselves in a better position before the second leg at the Camp No, and Paulinho seems to be the guy that is being put the blame on for Barcelona and not excelling in the way they, they are. Again, he's being complained about for not being a technical midfielder, for not helping move the ball, for not having, as you say, that pausa, that you stop the ball and then start it again in good rhythm and good motion, and he really just does, doesn't seem to fit in there. But when you look at the heat map that Paulinho had against Chelsea— it's this little green dot on the right side where he was buried in the right midfield where he doesn't really naturally belong. And I think that is truly a big problem here. As Paulinho, looking at some of the higher level stats we have here, Paulinho had 47 of Barcelona's 1,042 touches in the game. To compare that to the other three midfielders, Rakitic had 124 touches, Busquets had 153, and Iniesta had 112. And again, Paulinho just had 47. And even Alesh Vidal, who came on for Paulinho in the 63rd minute, had 25 touches in his 27 minutes while he was on the field. So Paulinho, whether he is not comfortable on the right side or he's completely fallen out of form, something is amiss. And so the question really, not just who is Barcelona's fourth midfielder alongside Iniesta, Rakitic, and Busquets, but if Paulinho is out of form and needs to be replaced, who's the guy that's going to replace Paulinho? I think would be a better way to phrase it. It really could be. I think it is very telling to know that Valverde, after the Chelsea game, he went onto the press conference and said that Paulinho added what he was expecting of him. So he wasn't critical of Paulinho at all. Um, he said that he adds goal to the team and he referred to the fact that he's the third best scorer this season. And that is a fact. You know, we cannot really argue that behind Messi, who's stratospherical this season and we're very grateful and fortunate for that. 
and also Luis Suarez, who's picked up in the last, I would say, two, three months now. Paulinho is the third one. And that is a fact. We can't argue against that. Now, I do understand that against Chelsea, it wasn't great. But then again, Paulinho has shown a lot of um, skill throughout this season, but also his skills, where his skills are lacking, has also been very apparent. Um, Let's face it, he cannot really be a right midfielder. Um, He excels in the middle in order to move forward, sort of parallel with the ball, particularly when Messi's got it, connecting very well with Messi himself and often with Iniesta, but as your stats clearly prove, not as often as we would have liked. Now, drilling the Chelsea stats a little bit more, his passing accuracy was 86%, and that was pretty much the lowest out of all the midfielders. He had 0.7 touches per minute, which means that within within he doesn't even get involved within the game every single minute that goes by, and that is 0.5 passes. He committed zero files, he received one. So in terms of defensiveness or attacking influence, that is not something that he excelled at. He recovered just the one ball, but he lost three. And decisive passes from him, it was zero. And he had two passes that should have been better and would have created a, let's say, a goal-scoring chance or a very clear one-on-one operation, occasion against the keeper. And that just did not happen. So I don't want to drill Paulinho for having a bad game against Chelsea, but it is clear that he was not the solution that Valverde was expecting. And one of our listener questions, and we'll say one of our original listeners in Matthew Lazardi asked, it seems like Paulinho's run of good form has come to a close, which makes me nervous that the Champions League progresses and we can't use Coutinho in the competition. What do you see from him that's different from the first half of the season? And again, this is just still focusing on Paulinho. And it could be as simple as he, he is just fallen out of form and he was an early injection of energy into a Barcelona team that looked to be reeling he had a lot of pressure on him and it's it how rarely do you see that though Frances that when a guy gets pressure taken off him that's when he struggles where Paulinho seemed when Barcelona fans and Kules were all against him including you and I we said that he was too expensive over the summer from China we all got shut up by Paulinho's effort his goal scoring and everything that he was doing right but now the critiques are back on him as he's just not finding a place there. For me, to answer the question on who the fourth midfielder is, it's a healthy Dembele. And I think that's the obvious answer that Coutinho, because he can't play in Champions League, I think we put an asterisk next to whether or not he is that guy. Because even when he is playing in La Liga against not lower level competition, but again, not the likes of Chelsea, then Paulinho, I mean, not Paulinho, but Coutinho does have a role on the right side if he has to. But Really, in essence, Iniesta having having to play every minute of a Champions League game, even though he came off late, but having to play the majority of minutes in all the Champions League games, Iniesta should be coming off, and for the Liga game, shouldn't have to play 90 minutes, and Coutinho should be fitting on the left side. But for Dembele, do we have time to be patient? Is part one is we're nearing the end of February here, but just surviving against Chelsea might not be enough because it doesn't matter if. Dembele gets fully fit and integrated in May if Barcelona still aren't in the competition. So it's this catch-22 that Dembele is obviously the right answer to this question when fit, but we're not, we're not going to have time to get him to that level most likely this year. We know how long it takes to get accustomed to Barcelona's system, and Dembele is just not going to have the opportunities, if you will, to get to where Barcelona need him to be against Chelsea in two and a half, three weeks' time. Of course, I mean, you did mention a lot of points in there. Um, and I think it all comes down to the word pre-season. 
Um, Paulinho came to us from China mid-season. That if you have been a professional um, sportsman or you've been doing anything about sort of sports health, you do know that in the preseason there's a lot of work in terms of physical stamina and for a physical prowess being built and that you sort of eroded that throughout the season and when Paulinho got to us he joined the team that had done all of that hard work and was just coming off with tired legs in order to you know over the months be able to use the reserves but actually Paulinho had done that three or four months prior to that so he was actually at the peak of his of his season obviously his season started five months before the one that at Barca, the European season. And I think that's one of the key reasons why first he was so informed before the Christmas break, for example, and that's why he may be declining now. Um, and then the same word preseason applies to Dembele. He did not really have one, did he? Um, he was playing for Borussia Dortmund last season, as we know. And the moment that he started the preseason, all the rumors to join Barca started. And then he de- he declared himself in rebeldia. He declared himself uh, a rebel and he decided he was not going to go to training. And he stayed there. I understand it was around 20 to 25 days. So when he did come back, he hadn't had all of that work that is essential for fitness and health to, to be there or to have that basis behind you for the rest of the season. And that's why he's got injured, then recovered, got injured again. And I, I, my understanding is, and I've got information from Barcelona, from the inside of, of the club, that says that actually they are trying to do a pre-season now um, away from the spotlight. That is why when he came on the other day, he was less than impressive. And what Valverde is doing, he's just trying to protect him and not, not throw him al ruedo, to throw him in the middle of the bullfighting ring way too early. Now, the last point that you made that I want to address is the fact that um, Dembele could be a midfielder, but obviously we just said that because of fitness, maybe he not, won't be the best solution. We do know that Andre Gomez, he was one of the sort of the preferred options earlier in the season, but he was so unconvincing and ho- so ineffective against Valencia that he's fallen out of form, to be honest, and fallen out of love. With, or Valverde has fallen out of love with him. So the passing accuracy is around the 88% mark. Touches is around the same as Paulinho, 0.7 and 0.5 per game. Fouls committed 3 and 1, so nothing significant, but this is a very important stat. Balls recovered in his last game 5, which is more than Paulinho did, but he also lost 5. So I understand Arcules when they get frustrated with his several mistakes, but actually he recovers as many balls as he loses, but obviously within the Barca formation it's a bit of an ISO. Uh, in terms of decisive passes as well, he was 2-2. Two and two, And that, in a way, is more influential than Paulinho was. And just quickly, Sergi Roberto, of course, is a right-back starter. But if Semedo was given the go-ahead, I mean, I think that when Semedo has played this season, he's been particularly good. Um, not at the Dani Alves level, but let's face it, I don't think anyone's going to get to Dani Alves level at his peak anytime soon. So if you started the middle right back and you use Sergio Roberto in the middle, that I think for me is the best solution right now. Um, he passing accuracy is better than Gomez and Paulinho at 92%. Fouls committed one, received three in his last game playing as a midfielder. Check this out. For balls recovered was six and he only lost one. And I think right there is the key of our question today. He recovers more balls and he loses less than 
all the other options that we do have. And decisive passes in his last game, he was one and zero. So nothing, nothing major in there. But I think for consistency in midfield, Sergio Roberto could be the best option. He also just signed a contract extension through 2022. So he's a guy who's locked up. And we always know that his passion and dedication to FC Barcelona, and that's something that Kule's obviously value highly, can never be argued because Sergio Roberto, other than the likes of Iniesta, Busquets, Messi, you know that he bleeds the Blagrana. And that's why he's wrapped up till 2022. And Frances, I do have to not even backtrack a little bit, but just thank you for saying those words at Paulinho. You're absolutely right. And I, I love that point you made that Paulinho may at this point be at a, the point in his season, if you will, where his legs are getting tired and he's slowing up. And you know that being a midfield destroyer, if you will, as his prototypical footballing DNA he might be getting a little tired. And looking ahead for Paulinho, he's got a World Cup in Russia coming up in the summertime as well. So Paulinho, it's going to be tough for him to play, what, about 15 straight months of football at a high level. And so I think, as you said, it's not that surprising that Paulinho might be slowing down a little bit. And I think, yeah, a little more rotation might not hurt anybody. And while it doesn't look like Valverde agrees with the Sergio Roberto point, I would agree with that completely. Tomato, when you look at everyone else, Alessio Vidal really hasn't been a starter, particularly against a Chelsea. Andre Gomes has been a guy to come off the bench, but he's not a starter. Denise Suarez is frozen out of the team. Usmane Dembele is being brought along again very slowly, not starting material, not going to play those kind of minutes just yet. So the answer has to be Paulinho when he is, as we said, not in the right frame of body, not even mind, but in body right now. And so I think for La Liga, that immediately puts Coutinho on the right side. But I think the solution might be, yes, move Roberto up. And Semedo has got to get more opportunities if if Roberto is moved into the midfield. And I think that kind of wraps it up for La Gran Pergunta. I think we it's not an easy answer to this one. I think it's much more nuanced. And unfortunately, Paulinho really is at the center of it all when it when you deal with the Champions League. For sure. And I also want to add a little bit of optimism. I think... Our listeners know that. I like, I like to do that. Guys, we are unbeaten in La Liga. We've gone to the best start probably ever, um, tied up with Guardiola. And arguably, our squad is not as strong as Guardiola's squad was at the time. Now, we have got a very, very good result at Chelsea. I understand we want to win every game. But, you know, if you look at the photo that we've posted at, at, at the Barcelona pod on Twitter and Instagram, etc., there's a photo that we posted right after the game and it was Iniesta and Messi being the happiest couple that you've ever seen in the history of love. And they're fairly happy to have scored and they were very, very ecstatic when talking to the media um, about the result they had achieved. So actually, I don't think we as fans can actually say that the result was poor because let's face it, it is a positive result, a way goal was achieved and... Chelsea have to go to the Camp Nou to score. And Chelsea are not a team that are comfortable doing that. I do predict a game in which they, let's just say they park the bus. I mean, it's not necessarily traditionally part of the bus because they are trying to break on the counter. And you could argue that William could have scored a hat-trick against us where the post not so generous with us. But um, I do think that it's going to be the same game. Chelsea are going to stick to what they do best, which is holding back and wait. And Barca are going to have to move forward and look for options. And if you're looking for creativity, um, 
I do know that Valverde probably prefers Paulinho or Gomez even for this for this um, challenge. But for me, the most creative midfield that we've got for that fourth spot is Sergio Roberto without a shadow of a doubt, knowing Coutinho won't play in the Champions League. So, Frances, that pretty much wraps up La Grande Pregunta. Again, we didn't give an exact answer to it, but Paulinho, who's most likely about to come up again in La Ronda de Pregunta, says, again, unfortunately, we don't have time for anything else today. So, no La Bolsa, no La Entrevista, but we do have somebody who was our La Entrevista, who was our guest on the earlier week's show, and now she's going to be returning as a normal collaborator with the Barcelona podcast. And, of course, you know her well. That's Eugenia Caroli. And again, we welcome her back to the show as she helps us answer La Ronda today. And we start that with Steven, who asked, what should be the plan to get more goals without conceding in the Champions League second leg against Chelsea? And Frances, this is a tough one, and I think we're going to need Ohenia's expertise on it. Okay, well, guys, uh, this is something that I actually really noticed on that last match against Chelsea in Stamford Bridge on Tuesday. And it's the amount of opportunities that were... not um, defined, right? So uh, there is something that really caught my attention. Those two um, bars uh, that William did uh, hit at the early part of the first half, and then he he wasn't going to forgive that last uh, shot that actually made Chelsea go ahead 1-0 to zero in the first half. So basically what I thought and when I, what I actually really saw was Barcelona playing a lot in the area, but not actually taking a shot towards the goal. And I think that is definitely something that they have to watch out for on the second leg at Camp Nou on the 14th. James Coulet asked, I thought Chelsea played very well and got things spot on against us. What do you think he will try tactically at the new camp? Well, I'm fairly sure that we sort of answered that in the Gran Pregunta just now at the very end. Um, I think the most important thing is knowing that every team is going to play to their strengths. Chelsea have always done that. It doesn't matter who's coached them. Uh, they have Ranieri over the years. They've had obviously Mourinho over the years. And they pretty much have played the same game against us. Um, I don't know if it's that they feel inferior, because I don't think that's the word, but they know that when they play attacking games against us, we're ultimately going to find spaces to kill them on the because of our quality up front. So I think they're going to come, not necessarily park the bus, as we just explained a minute ago. I think they're going to come, do what they do, and try and close up spaces and hit us on the counter. And we just need to be prepared for that. I would like to add up uh, something really quick on that. Uh, the fact that Chelsea uh, plays, uh, well, they've played ever since they had Mourinho, and now I saw it a lot on the on the match on Tuesday as well, is they were very de- defensive, trying to keep their goal at zero, and that's not going to work for them coming back at Camp No, So they're going to have to leave their goal you know, they're, they're going to have to stay out of their area and they need, they're, they're going to need to be more offensive at Camp Nou, otherwise they're out of Champions League. Yeah, that's you both hit it right now on the head. And for me, I think Willian, he was sensational in that first leg, probably the best player on the pitch, including the Barcelona players. And I, I don't know of what I've seen of him. He's going to be good, but I don't know if he's going to replicate that kind of performance. But that means that Barcelona also have to make sure they're taking care of Eden Hazard and not giving him that kind of space that he needs. Charlie Barca asks, our squad is big enough, but is it strong enough? 
I think that uh, now that you mentioned William, I think that strong, uh, uh, strong really defines a player like William because he's not only a fast and very tactical player, he is also a player willing to take risks and chances. And that's exactly how they, he scored that goal in Stamford Bridge. Because if you see the replay, you don't actually see a very clear shot from where he was standing to the goal. And he just took the shot and he was lucky enough to score. So I think that is what we were missing uh, on that first leg, and I hope that they're a little bit more risky. I think I hope that Chelsea gets out of the of of their area a bit and let the ball flow and let the ball actually roll a little bit more in Camp Nou. For sure, I agree with Eugenia here. Now talking about um, Charlie's question about depth, I think that we do have quite a good number of players. It's just there are, as we just mentioned before as well, people like um, Denis Suarez seem to have disappeared. Obviously, we are blessed, and basically our bank account is blessed, that we managed to offload Arda Turan because that was hurting our pockets so much, and uh, that's a move, a move forward. Um, as I said in our previous podcast, which I strongly recommend, if you haven't, you go and listen as soon as you finish with this one. I strongly believe that in the earlier Copa, Copa del Rey rondas, you shall have Alenia and Arnaiz playing a more decisive role. And if that had happened, probably you would have two more players that could come on and make a difference. But I think we can criticize all we want and we could be spending sort of hours talking about it. But as I said before, we are unbeaten in La Liga. We are leading with a comfortable advantage and depth at this moment in time. I think it's more about survival of the fittest than anything else. We got one from Blessed Guebo, of course. Thank you as one of our Patreons as well. If Rafinha does well on loan, as he apparently is with Inter Milan, should he come back as a bench player in place of Denis Suarez and Alex Vidal? And to that one, I think either way, if Rafinha comes back, which we didn't expect that he would, as Inter Milan will most likely buy him for the 35 million euro. But Denis Suarez and Vidal might not have a place in the squad anyway. I actually, I actually don't see Rafinha coming back. I don't see him as a bench player. And um, I think that, you know, to have a bench player, I would much rather have Denis Suarez or Alex Vidal, which are players that are coming in and, you know, in the second half, replacing our, our starting 11 players and just making sure that there is the physical strength to, to finish up a game instead of paying $35 million for Rafinha to come back and having uh, warming up the bench. I, complete, I would not agree to that at all. I agree with Eugenia totally. 35 million on the bank for a player that, you know, of course, he's got roots in La Masia, brother of Thiago, uh, done very well at, at um, Celta whenever he's been away and, and, and proven to be playing regularly. But at the end of the day, 35 million for someone who is warming the bench, like Eugenia said, but also warming his house and posting pictures on Instagram of him working out to come back. I think I, I agree. It's, it's fine at Inter Milan if they managed to pay that amount of money. Well, here's a fun one. Speaking of players who, or Brazilian players specifically, who are no longer at the camp, no. Slyman asked, if Neymar stayed, would we have had a more successful run so far? Um, I actually think it's been quite beneficial for the team to have uh, Neymar uh, go for two reasons. First of all, the obvious one, which is the economical reason. And second, uh, as we mentioned in our last podcast, we only have a room for so many stars in a team. We need uh, players like Paulinho to come and add up to what we already have, which is 
superstar power the, from Messi for Luis Suarez. And we want be, uh, players that want to come and support that and add up to that and not uh, players that want to take the attention and or the even the media attention or the team's attention or the goals from the key players that we've had for a longer time in in the team and that are giving us amazing results like Lionel Messi, Arcantera, and I think that Barca needs to start focusing more on the on the Masia players like the signing of Sergio Roberto today and the, that clause of 500 million. That's what we need to take care of and that's where we where Barca needs to focus on on building the players that that come from from home from the house. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, last year, it was all about um, MSN Tridente up front, the Trident. It was the year before as well. Of course, 2015, everything, you know, all the stars aligned and it was three players with Messi obviously up front um, leading the team forward. But it was El, el Equipo del Tridente, the team of the, of the Trident. Then the next season didn't work out, and the following actually, um, didn't really work out particularly in European competition because we weren't solid enough. So this current year, of again, and it's natural, you're going to have Messi being the leader, but then you've got a team behind. And I totally agree with Eugenia, which is the way in which the money has been invested has reinforced that. Now, I don't, see, I don't think we've seen the benefits of the long-term investment in terms of Dembélé, and Coutinho, because of obviously Coutinho sort of just joined that, and Dembélé hasn't really joined us yet um, in terms of fitness. So I think in two, three years' time, we will really see the benefits of the investment we've done now, but the team is much more solid, and that's good enough for me. Yeah, I have nothing to add. You two both wrapped it up in a nice little bow there as we gave Neymar, again, a goodbye present, and Real Madrid and PSG, of course, now they're locking horns. And PSG and Neymar have a little bit of work to do, but again, that's not for today's show. Instead, we've got a question that I think I'll take the lead on this one from Lassie, asking, should we try to pursue some young Ajax talents, including Frankie de Jong, the leaked, who we've previewed on this show before. There's an entire episode about him if you go back in our archives. You can see him on the front page cover art. And Justin Cloyvert, of course, the son of a Barcelona legend in Cloyvert as well, from the last century. And then finally, thoughts for finally landing Arthur Mello, who is dominating the news, of course, in Mundo Deportivo, or making appearances in sport as well. The Brazilian under-21 player with Pausa Ability. And so going through all of these names real quick, I think Cloyvert is destined for either Premier League or Serie A, or maybe even the Bundesliga, where they're attracting so many young players. I just don't think that Cloyvert's game is going to make the jump right from Ajax to the camp, no. As a winger in Barcelona, also don't have any room for him as well. If he were to come, then Dembele, again, where would the minutes be for him? De Ligt, he might be the guy that you'd see most recently, but with Mina just coming into the team, is there more room for another center back that, again, if you're under the age of 20, you absolutely just need playing time. You just need game time and reps, and that's something De Ligt may have to get somewhere else, and if Barcelona are going to have to spend now what center back market, which could be 50, 60 million, Barcelona might have to come back for him after he's been somewhere else. And for Frankie de Jong, I think he does have a little bit of that pausa ability and a way that he controls the game and passing, and we've previewed him with guests before, and he's a guy that I don't think in the next year might come, but again, two, three years down the road, I think he's one of those few young players in the world that has that Barcelona DNA needed, particularly in the midfield, as Busquets is then going to be over 30 and nearing the twilight of his career. Arthur, though, he's the guy that you could circle 
be most expected to come either this coming summer or possibly even January of 2019 due to the Brazilian calendar. Is that answer the question or would you two want to add something? I think it would be great to see what Eugenia has felt in terms of being in Barcelona as to what the media are saying. And I know that she's been on television talking to the players as well. So Eugenia, what, what, what is the feeling back home? Okay, so uh, regarding the bringing young players for from other teams, I completely think that it's unnecessary right now because you have a very solid base in La Masia and a very com consolidated team this season. And unless the unless there is a, a specific player that needs a replacement in the first team for like tomorrow, say. We already have young players that were signed this this season, like you mentioned Dembélé. And if you start bringing players and paying for play for young players that are coming from other base uh, football bases like Ajax, it, I think it's there's no place for them in this team. Some things can change in two years, but right now there are plenty of 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 stars, and some of them are gonna start heading out in the next couple of seasons, probably Iniesta the next season, which is there's a huge rumor going around about him going to China. But there are already uh, young players that have been signed and not only signed, that the club has paid a lot of money for them to replace those players and to, you know, be the future of the team, while the players that are being uh, prepared or trained at La Masia are ready to play in the first team. Eugenia, if you were Iniesta, would you leave? I would leave if we win El Triplete this year. I would leave because I think it would be, you know, it, I don't think he would ever do it for economical reasons, but I, I do think and I do agree with the fact that The, the pressure uh, of being a Barca player goes way beyond the results or the titles. It's a, a social pressure. It's a media pressure. And I'm sure that and they, they have the right to go and explore other cultures and offer their families more time and, you know, be able to, to be at home while they, their kids grow up. I completely agree with that. And if that those are the reasons for him leaving and after all he's giving the club, I would totally support him and I think the 97,000 people at Camp Nou would applaud the fact that he's making a decision and leaving in the right time like Xavi did in 2015 where he you know won La Liga he won Copa del Rey he won the Champions League in Berlin and he left the club like the star he is and I would totally do it. Do you think there's a lot of people talking about Xavi's being in Qatar you know Xavi's Qatari adventure right now Or is the media not following that too closely? Well, what's the thought back home? Well, you know, there are some uh, media, the local media mostly, uh, obviously all follow Xavi. And whenever there is a, a, an important subject to talk about, they are they're always including him and asking for his opinion. So, um, but I don't think he's in Qatar looking for media attention. I think it's exactly the opposite. He They go as far as possible to run away from the Spanish media. And that's funny as well, as we are an English-speaking podcast, we most assuredly don't get the scorn of the Spanish media and some of the critiques, and we want to thank again all of our listeners for the positive feedback they've given us now over this first about nine months or so, or ten months now, that we've had the show. So, we've got three more questions, two we'll say easy ones, and one harder one. So, we'll take our turn. First, Frances, I'll throw this one to you. Just give me a one-word answer. From Chakib, Valverde should rest PK, but who should be the second defender with Umtiti? Vermelion or Mina? Mina, because he's younger, he's got longer to go in his career, and he adds much more height and power. Works for me here. Ojenia, we've got one from Juan Ortega. This one's a little tough. 
Who is at fault for the coverage of the barren right post and the empty zone between the right touchline and the penalty area in the goal by Willian against Chelsea? Was Paulinho at fault, Sergio Roberto, or Valverde? He He's mentioning, and I'd say Umtiti's probably up there too as he was shielded off the ball by Rudiger. I don't, I, you know, I've seen the rep, the replay so many times and I do not see the hole. I do not see that empty space where William saw the ball could go straight in. And that's what I was talking about before. I wouldn't blame any of the players. I've heard a lot of people blaming and criticizing Paulinho. I'm a super defender of Paulinho. I think he, we already spoke about it last week. He's a, he's that player that adds that little something that was missing in order to get the ball in. And well, in this case, I just don't see that, that uh, blank space that William saw. And that's what I'm talking about, about taking the risk and just taking the shot. And you know, who never, who, who knows it might just go in. So I wouldn't really blame them because I, I can't really see an open space when William takes a shot. From a Londoner's perspective, I just want to briefly add there that Chelsea have scored that goal at least two, three times this season already. It is a play that they do regularly. The ball doesn't always go to William. It sometimes goes to Pedro and he scores some crackers from there. Um, I would say Valverde should have seen that coming and covered the space. But then again, as he did say in the press conference after the game, it's just a very small space and they have very good expensive players and Sometimes you just have to take your hats off. I mean, our rivals do it with Messi all the time, right? I remember seeing William in the Copa America in Chile in 2015. He was playing my national team, Venezuela. And I was like, I said that day right there at the stadium, the same exact thing I saw on Tuesday while I was watching the play. Tie him up. He is a machine. He is an amazing player. I've been following him for the last three years. And... I just can't believe how many times Barcelona left him alone. That is something that I just couldn't believe. After the first post, after the second post, after the goal, he kept on running ar- uh, along the sidelines, uh, along the, yeah, the sidelines, alone with the ball, alone. There was nobody covering him du- during the entire first half of the match. Well, Henia, as our listeners might or may or may not know that Again, your national team is Venezuela, and with neither Venezuela or the U.S. in the World Cup, you and I will have plenty of time to help Frances over the summer with the World Cup breakdown, whether it's Spain or Ter Stegen with Germany, or of course Umtiti and Debeli and Dinier and the French contingent. So we'll be breaking down the World Cup, and again, we won't have to worry about Venezuela or the U.S. too much taking away any of our passions. The World Cup, my passion is taken by the Mexican team in the in the in the World Cup. That's exactly the team I was actually following in Brazil as well. So, but I'm more than happy to follow all the Barca players during their World Cup uh, with their national teams, and I'm sure that they're they're all gonna add up a lot to their teams. And I'm really rooting for that Argentina, so Messi can finally raise his World Cup trophy. So am I. Thanks, Frances. We know how much you love it. So we'll, we'll give you a backseat on that. But we'll put you at the center stage again for our final question. Medjean Sarah, of course, on Instagram, always gives us good questions. And this might be the creme to the creme that so far we've got on Instagram. It's a long one. So there's really only one question here at the end, and we'll get to it. I was wondering about your thoughts about the kind of support that the senior players show and don't show to young players. Biggest example being Delefeu, De who did very well at Everton and Milan, but his two opportunities at Barca, he played poorly, and now at Watford, he's immediately made an impact and had some com- good performances against big teams. 
Could it be that the players aren't supportive enough towards some young talent? And is there an element of ego from the starting players? And Majin Sarat even says, I feel like it might be a major reason for the negative performances of some of the players, including Digne, Denise, Gomesh, and Dembele. I would say respect is earned, not given. So what, in other words, what you do in training and how well you perform and how well you communicate and how effective you are is going to come back to you. So the players that were mentioned are not world-class at this moment in time, and that's why. I completely agree with Francesc, and I need to add up that the fact that you are the best player of a team doesn't make you the best player or a player good enough for another team. And we're talking Barca here. We're talking about the best team in the in the world nowadays, and you need to be 100% on top of your game in order to be able to play and be able to, you know, have the privilege to play in the starting 11 with players like Suarez, Messi, Pique, Iniesta. And De Lofeo had his chances and I don't, I just don't think he took advantage of them. And he was more, uh, from what I've heard from the press in Barcelona, he was too concerned about the attention that the media gave or didn't give to him more than his actual game and his actual performance on the field. Yeah, and that's another great point as these young players get their support. And we wouldn't be where we are without the support of all the listeners. And plenty of thanks as we wrap up another edition of the Barcelona Podcast. This was episode number 64. So again, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, comment, support the show, and take advantage of the many deals we offer, including our sponsor, TickAndCompare.com. If you're on iTunes, please leave us a review of some kind. And for Frances and Oenya and myself, thanks again for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. We the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca and Frances, now you've got some competition. Forza Barca. Buona Forza. Forza.